0: Hello there. Just before we start this episode properly, right here at the beginning, I've got a little announcement to make for any uh, listeners, any Lepsters in London uh, this weekend. So uh, that's the weekend of Saturday, the 15th of December, 2018, of course. Any Lepsters in London? I'm going to be in London doing comedy uh, in the afternoon. Of Saturday the fifteenth of December at the Comedy Store uh, in Leicester Square. Okay, if you if you just Google Comedy Store Leicester Square, you'll find it. It's a really great comedy venue. It's just probably my favourite stand up comedy venue. It's brilliant, and uh, I'm lucky enough to be performing comedy there on Saturday afternoon. And this is very last minute. It's uh, totally last minute, and. Uh, I mean, I'm uploading this on the Thursday. So this is potentially only going to be heard by, you know, a a smallish portion of my audience, the people who listen in the first day or two uh, that I upload. But So basically, my mate Paul Taylor, who you know from the podcast, is um, filming an episode of his new TV show, which is called Stereo Trip. You heard us talking about it on the podcast recently. He's doing an episode of Stereo Trip about... Um, the u k and part of the filming for that is going to involve uh, some on stage performances by paul so he 's going to be doing some comedy on stage we 're using the uh, the comedy store as our venue, and Paul has invited me to uh, do a, a set of stand up uh, before he takes the stage and i think i 'm going to be doing sort of like fifteen to thirty minutes of stand up comedy so If you're in the London area and if you want to come and see uh, me doing um, some stand-up comedy uh, on stage and also to see Paul doing some performances as well, then come to the Comedy Store. Um, The the show's going to begin at 4 p.m., right? Um, And you should arrive at 3.30 p.m. No pre-booking, so there's no reservations for this. It's free as well. It's completely free. We need an audience for the TV show okay? So it's completely free. Um, uh, Show starts at four, but be at the door of the comedy store for 3.30. You will need to queue up. It's a first come first served situation. Now, I don't know if we're going to fill the room, if it's going to be over, you know, if it's going to be too full or what. I have no idea. Paul's sending messages out to his people and I'm now telling you. Uh, So anyway, uh, you may have to queue up it might be a first come first serve situation uh, but it will be free and it's a chance to see both me and paul doing stand-up comedy on stage in london okay you got you got that you got that 15th of december uh saturday uh be at the comedy store leicester square in london at three thirty. Ready to to queue up a little bit and then hopefully get in for like probably an hour's worth of comedy and you'll see I think some stuff with Paul filming as well on stage all right cool I just wanted to say that this is like a last minute thing it's all been organized at the last minute Um, and I'm just doing this little recording at the last minute I'm now going to stop this announcement and start the episode properly uh, with the the pre-roll sponsorship stuff and all that and then the jingle and then we'll start properly okay all right cool thanks for listening to that Uh, and I will speak to you soon, i.e. immediately, as this episode begins properly, which is going to happen right now. Hello everyone, here's a new episode, hot on the heels of the last one. I'm pumping out these episodes fairly quickly, because Christmas is coming, and I just want to upload the, the whole series, so I can then be free to upload some other stuff before Christmas, like a Christmas episode or something. Like I usually do, I haven't actually prepared a Christmas episode yet, but I'd like to do something quite festive before Christmas arrives, because Christmas is already less than two weeks away. I I know, like I just realised uh, this week, I just I sort of looked at my watch and saw the date, and I was like, oh oh my god, we've got less than two weeks before Christmas. We've got to get everything ready. So. Um, Anyway, I'm uploading all these episodes to clear some space before Christmas arrives. All right? That's why they're coming in thick and fast. I hope your ears and your brain have been enjoying these episodes in this series. This one, um, which is part four, has some more serious topics in it, like some stuff about the job market and about the effects of Instagram on your mental health. So some serious stuff. But it's not all serious stuff stick around until the end of the episode to hear a funny story which was sent to me by a listener about a unicorn riding a bicycle in London, which should give you a giggle, I hope. In fact, on the subject of listener emails, I just want to say thank you if you have sent me a message recently. Uh, I just happen to have received quite a few lovely bits of correspondence from listeners recently by email, and it's always very nice to read those messages even if I don't always get the chance to respond so if you have sent an email to me recently and you'll know who you are then I thank you for taking the time to write and talk about your English learning experiences and other such things it's very encouraging I like to read those messages I'm sorry if I haven't responded to every single one of them all right just wanted to say that um So let me tell you about the sponsor for this episode, and that's italki as usual. Italki is a great solution if you or someone you know is looking for one-to-one lessons with a qualified teacher in a flexible and personalised way over Skype. Find an italki teacher to help with your spoken fluency, your vocab, grammar, or pronunciation development, or if you have specific things to prepare for, like job interviews or exams, and uh remember you can offer iTalki gift cards to people too which could be a good idea for a Christmas present if someone you know wants to learn a language. And when you buy some talking time on iTalki they will send you a voucher for a free lesson. To get that offer you know what to do go to teacherluke.co.uk/talk or click an iTalki logo on my website right then. So it's jingle time, jingle bells, here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to part four of this series about the words of the year. In the last three episodes, I've been working my way through this list of published by the Collins Dictionary Online, of 10 words which were used a lot in 2017. So far I've talked about fake news, Antifa, Corbin mania, cuffing season, echo chamber, fidget spinner and gender fluid. It's been a bit of a tightrope for me to talk about some of those fairly controversial political topics and manage to cover the different aspects of the debates surrounding these concepts – But hopefully you've been finding it interesting and you've noticed lots of vocabulary, more than just the words of the year. Most of what I'm saying in this series is written on the pages for these episodes on the website. I started preparing these episodes last year when Collins published their list uh, for 2017 and then I just never got round to recording it. But I've added more notes and ideas uh, to this over the last 12 months and I'm happy to be Finally, putting my thoughts on record in these episodes. So, do check out the pages for these episodes published on my website. If you go through all the stuff I've written and perhaps try to read along as I'm speaking, it will make it easier for you to pick up bits of vocabulary that you'll hear me using. Generally, in episodes like this, I hope that you are trying to notice little bits of language as we go along. That's basically the point. I'm trying to provide you with a meaningful context in which you can discover or notice vocabulary, which you can attempt to pick up and use yourself. The notes and scripts on the website should really help you to do that, uh, as you can check spelling and paste new words and expressions into your word lists if you keep them. So I hope that you use episodes like this as a chance to expand your vocabulary as you listen. I've got three more words from the 2017 list to deal with and I think that I'll get that done in this episode which is part four of the series. Then after this it's time to move on to the Collins words of the year for 2018. But thankfully I will have the help of my friend Amber Minogue who of course you know because she's a regular guest on the show but let's not not get ahead of uh, ourselves okay. Uh, Let's finish the word list from 2017 first. Remember, these are words or phrases which were used a lot in 2017 and which Collins selected also because they represent big issues that people were talking about or reading about in the media during 2017. All these issues are still relevant and significant today, except perhaps fidget spinners from the last episode, which I think are now old news and probably just a trend that peaked in 2017. Uh, But, uh, okay, so let's carry on then. Let's go. So the next item, the next word on the list is gig economy. Gig economy. The gig economy. Gig, that's spelled G-I-G, and then economy, you know, E-C-O-N-O-M-Y. The gig economy, okay? This is a noun, and it means an economy in which there are few permanent employees, and most jobs are assigned to temporary or freelance workers okay so the economy is obviously a big word that refers to like all of the systems of money that that work that operate in society but it also relates to jobs and the job market and employment and stuff like that Um, and this really is about the job market that kind of economy Uh, so this is all about the current job market in the UK and elsewhere, of course, where this is also the case. So the job market at the moment is an economy or employment market in which permanent work is getting more and more rare. I'm not really sure why as well, but we're talking about a situation where permanent jobs are becoming more and more scarce or hard to find. Instead, it's more and more common to have a series of temporary jobs being employed on a freelance basis. okay. The expression gig economy is used to refer to this situation in which people might just move between different temporary jobs or perhaps work a number of little jobs at the same time. Little gigs. This is to be contrasted with the, I guess, old idea that in your career you find just one permanent job with a company that employs you for life, that you're Uh, loyal to the company, and the company looks after you. So you find one permanent job with a company that employs you for life, or at least until you retire. Nowadays, there seems to be less job security, or perhaps just more flexibility than there used to be. So we've got a bit of vocabulary here about types of job or types of contract. And then we'll break down the expression gig economy as well, which basically means just explaining what a gig is. All right. So let's look at the difference between a permanent job and a freelance or temporary job, okay? Permanent or freelance or temporary. So uh, you, some, your friend might say to you this, they might say, hey, I got a new job. So how do you respond? So you might say, oh, cool. Is it a permanent contract? You might say, is it, is it a permanent contract? Is it a permanent job or uh, something like that? And your friend might say, no, it's just temping. Or, no, I'm freelancing still, but it's for six months, which isn't bad. That's like a little dialogue that you might have. So, a permanent job or a permanent contract, this is where your employer has, uh, you, you signed a contract with your employer, which basically means that they're going to employ you on a permanent basis. So, in theory, until you retire, right? So, you'll be employed by the company all the way through until you retire. That's permanent, and so you imagine also that in a permanent job, there might be uh, some potential for you to move up within the company. You know, uh, you might have a, 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 um, a pay scale so that the longer you spend there, the more money you, you earn over time. Um, and there may be benefits in there if you've got a permanent contract, like you might have um, uh, a, a pension. So the company might help to pay money towards your pension, so that when you do retire, you'll still be able to claim some money, so you can live. So the company might offer you a pension in a, with a permanent contract or other little benefits and perks, like for example, uh, they might offer you, you know, healthcare, you know, health insurance cover or something like that. So that's a permanent job, which a pretty good, secure thing. It gives you good security. Then you've got a temporary contract or if you're just temping meaning you're doing temporary work a temporary contract well i mean it's pretty obvious i guess it just means that the time limit the time period for the employment is limited so it could be you know as short as just a um, you know a, a few weeks or months or years but it's a limited period so that means you know you sign a contract because basically there are laws when you do work for people, there are certain laws that you have to comply with uh, that the employer has to comply with too you 're covered by employment law um, but if you write it into a contract, it means that the you know you 're specifically stating all the conditions for that work so temporary contract could just be you know for a limited period and typically temporary contracts don 't contain the other benefits that you might expect to get with a permanent contract, so they might not pay money into your pension, they probably won't give you health insurance cover, they might help you, they might kind of provide you with a computer or or maybe even a, a car in some cases if you're a salesperson, they might let you use a company car, but basically it's a limited period of time that the employer is obliged or, or, or um, is... Uh not obliged yeah that's probably the word the a limited period of time in which the employer is obliged to provide you with work and you are obliged to do the work that they give to you as long as all the conditions are met so a temporary contract basically it's it's a, a temporary period and then you've got freelancing as well now if you, if you if you're a freelancer if you do freelance work it basically means that you are kind of self-employed or maybe you do just like a uh, uh, temporary contracts for different companies, but essentially you look after yourself. So that means that you, you're responsible for, for example, uh, doing your own accounting. Like you do your own tax return, which means that every year you have to declare the money that you've earned in that year and then, you know, um, calculate how much tax you have to pay and then pay that tax. So if you're a freelancer, you you have to look after those things yourself. Whereas if you've got a permanent job, it's typically the employer who does all of the taxation stuff, you know, there. So at the end of the month, you just get your money and they've automatically taken the tax you're taxed at source, as they say, at the source where the money comes from. So the employer looks after all of the accounting if you've got a permanent job. But if you're a freelancer, if you're freelancing, you've got to look after all that stuff yourself. Um, OK, so the advantage of a permanent job is that you get more security. I mean, this is obvious, right? I mean, a lot of the things I'm saying are obvious, but the main thing is I'm presenting you with the language, right? So I might say things that are obvious, but uh, it's it's all about just like how I'm saying them as much as what I'm saying. So the advantage of a permanent job is that you get more security. You're certain to have work and to be paid every month, but you're committed to that job, you know with freelance or temporary work you have a bit more flexibility you can probably say to employers hey you know i'm not free for the month of april or something or you or you can do whatever you want in april because there are no strings attached it's not just for april i mean that's just an example like you might be thinking what's special about april no it's just an example uh basically with freelance or temporary contracts you might have a bit more flexibility or something you know uh you might choose not to work but you know why would you want to do that why would you choose not to not to work in any period i mean you still need to pay the rent right you you need to keep working right usually temporary contracts are for the employee then normally they're just not as good as permanent ones Unless for some reason you only want to work for a short period, like maybe you just want to work for the next three months or something before you go travelling, and so a three-month temporary contract would be perfect in that case. But normally, temporary contracts, they tend to suit the employer more than they suit the employee, because it means that the employer is obliged to, to give fewer guarantees to you, especially in terms of time. Like often the employer could just give you a temporary contract and, you know, then they can decide if they want to keep you and they might give you another temporary contract. Whereas if you have a permanent contract, there's more security because the, the employer can't just get rid of you if they feel like it. You know, it's they can't just get rid of you. They need decent reasons for doing it. Okay, so there's a bit more legal protection in a permanent contract than in a temporary one. All right, but gig economy is the phrase. So it's Uh, some more bits of vocabulary here. Uh, The word gig, what is a gig? What do we mean by the gig economy? Well, a gig economy is an economy in which people are doing gigs. All right, does that help? Well, a gig is basically a one-off job. It's a one-off job. It's just like a one, um, yeah, one job, like one temporary job. That's a gig. It's like one individual short-term temporary job. Uh, piece of work that you do okay the word gig is actually usually i think usually used to refer to a comedy show or a music show by comedians or musicians imagine a musician right a musician will do gigs like they'll do one-off performances you see that it's rare that a musician will be permanently employed by some kind of company i mean maybe you get like um holiday camps that might permanently employ a group of musicians so that they always they're always the musical entertainment at the holiday camp but usually musical like for music musicians or music groups uh contracts are usually temporary you can imagine maybe a musician going off on a cruise ship for like a few months and being the musical entertainment on the ship but then that cruise ship thing is only going to be temporary right or maybe a, a bar might employ a musician to perform every night for a certain period during the summer or something like that but usually musicians are doing just one-off jobs where it's like they get paid for one night or one performance so that's a gig same thing for comedians you do one show you get paid for that one show rather than having some sort of permanent residency it happens i guess some theaters will uh might give comedians more permanent work in the sense that they will let the comedian just perform their show every night in a theatre but even then it's temporary right and it's normally just for a season so anyway a gig normally used to describe what com- uh, comedians or musicians do also as the audience as an audience member you can go to a gig Meaning, you, you can go and see a show uh, so we hear phrases like i did a gig last night or you've been gigging a lot recently It's kind of what comedians say to each other, or you might say, you know, what's the worst gig you've ever done? Because comedians love to share stories of difficult performances that they've done. Or, you know, as an audience member, you might say, hey, we went to a great gig last night, or a comedian might say, I've got a gig tonight, okay? So, it's used, I guess, for the musicians and comedians and stuff, but it's also used more and more to refer to other types of work, for example, just one-off temporary contracts like you might hear someone say i've got a gig at a startup company in town doing their website it's a pretty good gig actually meaning you know it's the pay is not that bad and the 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 office where we're doing the work is kind of cool and they have free coffee and stuff like that you know uh, i've got a gig at a startup company that would be like i've got a temporary contract with them i'm helping them to develop their website so that's what gig means temp- short-term temporary jobs. So the gig economy, uh, and this is a paragraph from the Collins Dictionary website, Um, it says in July 2017, the UK Prime Minister Theresa May made a speech promising to support the increasing number of workers in the gig economy, where the flexibility of short term and part term, sorry, short term and part time working comes at the cost of having little job security and none of the employment benefits enjoyed by permanent members of staff. So really, the gig economy refers to the fact that instead of doing one single permanent job these days, more and more people are doing multiple part-time jobs at the same time. And this means that there is less security, less job security. Okay? So I think you get the idea. And this doesn't mean that everyone is doing temporary work in the UK. It's just that it's more and more common. So on the on the one hand, this means that we have a flexible workforce okay Um, but on the other hand it's a situation in which there is less and less job security so what about you where you live is do you have a gig economy there Uh, what about you personally i mean are you a gig economy worker are you doing like lots of temporary jobs or do you have the security of a permanent contract or i wonder what your permanent situation is maybe you're freelance maybe you work for yourself and you're just going around like uh, doing different contracts for different people at different times i wonder what's the most normal form of work there like for example in japan i know when i lived there 15 years ago or 16 years ago whenever it was a long time ago now oh my god time flies um you know obviously i met lots of people working and the, the 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 traditional arrangement in japan is definitely the permanent job where you get a job with a company and you are then loyal to that company uh for your whole life okay but you know more and more i noticed in japan that things were changing and there was less and less job security in the uk it's 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 you know a lot more um uh towards the um short-term contract situation Uh, but maybe things in japan are changing what about in china what about in russia what about in poland what about in spain and brazil what about in your countries what's what's the economy like what's the job market like um i want to mention zero hours contracts Zero Hours Contracts. If you've spent any time in the UK and read any papers or listened to the news recently about the UK, then you must have come across this expression, Zero Hours Contracts. It's kind of a buzzword that's going around a lot. I'm just going to read some stuff from the BBC's website about Zero Hours Contracts so what are zero hours contracts a zero hours uh, zero hours contracts or casual contracts allow employers to hire staff with no guarantee of work imagine that it's like we'd like to offer you a job but we have no guarantee that we'll actually give you any work like congratulations you've got a job oh fantastic do you have any you know when do i start well we've got no work for you huh sounds a bit weird uh zero hours contracts mean that employees work only when they are needed by employers, often at short notice. So that would be maybe like one week, you, you know, your boss calls you and says, don't come in this week. We've got no work for you. And you think, oh, shit, how am I going to pay the rent? So on one hand, you're thinking, OK, so I can stay in bed or I can just do what I want to do. But on the other hand, you're thinking, but I'm not going to get any money. I'm not going to get paid. How am I going to pay the bloody rent? And then next the next week, um, like the Monday, you call in again and they say, No, it's still no work, but you know, keep in touch, we'll let you know. And then you're sitting around and like you maybe meet up with a friend who's unemployed or something and you kind of say, hey, let's do something tomorrow. Let's meet up and play cards together tomorrow on Tuesday. And then the Tuesday, you're just kind sort of getting ready to see your friend and your boss calls you and says, hey, come in. We need we've needed to come and work. Right. So, uh, you know, short notice stuff. Um, OK, that's what it would be like working on a zero hours contract. Also, employees on zero-hours contracts, their pay depends on how many hours they work. Yeah, some zero-hours contracts require workers to take the shifts that they're offered. So it could be that your boss says, well, the only shifts we've got are night shifts. So it's just, all we've got for you is just the night shifts. So you have to come in at nine and you'll finish at eight in the morning, all right, for, for the next two weeks. And you think, oh, God, is that, that's it? That's all I've got? Just night shifts? Damn. So sometimes uh, if you're working on a zero hours contract, that's the kind of stuff you have to deal with. Sick pay is often not included in a zero hours contract. Although holiday pay should be included in line with working time regulations. Ah, So it doesn't sound great, does it? I mean, it's work, but eh, the conditions aren't wonderful. So why are they controversial? And I'm I'm still reading bits from the BBC's page about zero hours contracts here. Um, So there is concern that zero hours contracts don't offer enough financial stability and security. The ONS, what's the ONS? Okay, the ONS is the Office for National Statistics. They're basically a a company that like gets information. They they provide us with data and information on all sorts of things. So the ONS found that employees on such a contract worked an average of 25 hours a week. However, about a third of those on zero hours contracts want more hours, mostly in their current job compared with just 10% of other people in employment. So it seems that basically people working in zero hours contract on zero hours contract really need work. And why do they really need work? Because they really need money. So these are people who are probably struggling. Basically, the CIPD research. Okay, what's the CIPD? There's another one, another acronym. The Professional Body for Human Resources and Personnel Development. So it's basically a company that is um, that, that looks to uh, help people. It looks to improve working conditions and working um, practices. So it's a human resources uh, organisation. The CIPD research found that 16% of zero-hours workers said their employer often failed to provide them with sufficient hours each week. So this means that people on zero-hours contracts don't get enough work, basically. The ONS, the Office for National Statistics, said that zero-hours workers were more likely to be women or in full-time education and aged under 25 or over 65. So it's basically students who are trying to pay their way through university, or it's older people who, for whatever reason, find it hard to get a job. But if they're over 65, they should be retired, really. But apparently they're still working. Maybe it's because they don't have the pension that they need. Mm, It's sad, basically. It's a sad story. Zero hours contracts. It's a sad story. And this is the sort of bad side of the gig economy. The article on the page on the BBC's site continues. It says, employees on zero-hours contracts also don't have the same employment rights as those on traditional contracts. And critics are concerned that the contracts are being used to avoid employers' responsibilities to employees. Right, so you get the story. It's basically employers who just, you know, want... I mean, what, am I going to use the word exploit? Yeah, why not? Why not? We've got a workforce some people in the workforce who really need work and they're probably not being paid very much um, and they just need as much work as they can get and this situation benefits the employers because it means they've got so much they've got more options right so they can choose to like just give people a bit of work and maybe not pay them very much not give them the kind of um, the, the, uh, the rights or benefits that they would get from proper contracts so there you go so the issue is that zero hours contracts just let employers have all the control and the power they're really awful for workers rights and you know what this is one of the things that the european union attempts to legislate against all right actually the eu as a social body attempts to try and protect workers rights to be honest and they will probably you know zero hours contracts are the sorts of things that eu legislation attempts to prevent in order to try and you know Protect workers' rights sounds fair. Not many people are saying those sorts of things. Not many people are standing up for the EU and saying that they will actually try to sort of um, fight against this sort of thing. But it's interesting, isn't it? And it's also interesting when you realise some of the people campaigning for the for Britain to leave the EU are the same sorts of people who want this sort of thing to happen in our economy. They're the kinds of people who support the employer and they you know they 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 talk about it like it's you know a flexible workforce but really it's just putting all the power in the hands of the employers and not offering uh workers the the same rights that they you know should really have uh okay also other aspects of the gig economy we have things like co-working spaces here's another thing so i mean zero hours contracts is kind of a controversial and negative um side of the story Uh, There are other sides to this story. When you think of the gig economy, you also think of co-working spaces. Now, these are rather cool and groovy spaces where you can go and work. And I say they're cool and groovy because they're full of like young people who are starting up their own businesses and they just need places to share ideas and work. And and, uh, co-working spaces are often in cool buildings, like they might be in you know, nice spaces that are designed well and they're open plan areas and uh, there's, there's stuff like a cool coffee bar and you can get nice food there and things like that. So co-working spaces are sort of cool. They're often populated by young people doing freelance work or perhaps people who need an office for a short period and don't have one. So they use co-working spaces as flexible alternatives to having an office. The rise of co-working spaces uh, shows us that the job market is changing and is becoming more temporary in nature. These are cool spaces, but they can be a bit noisy. They can be expensive long-term. They're just one of the parts of the gig economy. Some gigs that you might need to do if you're struggling to find a permanent contract. What are the kinds of things we're talking about? Well, it could be stuff like working as a waiter, as a barman, working as a barista in a coffee shop, working as a cleaner, clerical worker clerical work. That means office work, probably doing basic office work like filing or data entry or just a job in Starbucks or an Uber driver or Deliveroo cyclist. Deliveroo, it's a company that um, uh, provides food for people at lunchtime. You can just order your fo- food through Deliveroo from a local place and then it's, it's someone delivers it to your door, a Deliveroo cyclist. So, you know, these are the sorts of Gigs that we're talking about. These are all jobs that you might take if you're a gig economy worker, perhaps doing several jobs at the same time during your working week, while also maybe taking some kind of academic course in an attempt to get an edge in the job market. It's probably a slightly insecure and confusing way of life, uh, being all these things at the same time, like someone who's like being a student and being a a barman and also maybe being a babysitter or, or doing work uh, as a cleaner, and you know, sort of a bit confusing. Perhaps it's cool to have so much flexibility too, though. There might be a sense of freedom in it, but uh, I wouldn't want that kind of lifestyle as the father of a child, you know, I'd want some more security. But thinking about it, maybe I do actually have that lifestyle. Maybe I am a gig economy worker, if you think about it. I teach part-time at the British Council and I have a permanent contract with them, but it's part-time, and the rest of my time is spent working mostly alone on my online English teaching projects, while also doing stand-up comedy in the evenings and taking odd little extra jobs on the side, like sometimes I do voiceover work for companies, sometimes I do bits of comedy writing, sometimes I do bits of acting here and there, you know, maybe I am a gig economy worker. I think if it wasn't for the permanent contract at the British Council, I would feel a bit more insecure, I think. Although saying that, uh, the premium subscription is starting to make it possible for me to have more financial security. And I'm lucky enough that my wife also contributes to our family budget. But, you know, I could see it's very easy to just slip into a situation where suddenly you're struggling to make ends meet every month. And you might have to go off and start, you know, doing multiple jobs. Uh, this is the gig economy. Some collocations, just, you know, what words go with gig economy? Well, we have gig economy worker, gig economy company, gig economy practices. Okay. Um, A gig economy worker, this line from The Independent, one in three gig economy workers juggle at least two jobs at the same time, according to a study by one of the world's biggest insurance companies. Juggle. That's a nice word. You know, juggling is what, it's when you throw three objects or more into the air at the same time and you keep throwing them up and catching them. Like you can imagine someone at the circus juggling. So we also juggle other things. You juggle things in your life. In this case, juggling at least two jobs at the same time. Gig economy companies. This is from The Guardian. More than a million workers in Britain's gig economy risk losing more than £22,000 each from being wrongly labelled as self-employed, according to research that shows the danger posed to people in fragile employment. Uh, The insurance firm Zurich said forcing gig economy companies to classify their workers as employees rather than self-employed would mean automatic enrollment in a workplace pension. Under these rules, it estimates a typical worker aged 25 and earning £25,000 a year would receive a total of £22,000 in employer contributions by the time they retire. So here's another thing. So maybe the whole gig economy, again, we talk about flexible things, but really it's just more flexible for the companies because it means that they do things like they can avoid having to pay pensions to their staff. If they employ their staff as, what was it, Um, self-employed, Like if they have a lot of freelance staff, that's good for the company because it means they don't have to pay pension uh, um, payments. Pension contributions. So sometimes, you know, the gig economy maybe is a sign of just like workers being, workers having a difficult time, you could say. Um, We also have gig economy practices, practices meaning things that are done and also the way that they are done. Another one from the Guardian it says UK government delays possible reforms to gig economy practices the story there from the left-leaning Guardian newspaper is that the government is not the government is sort of um not changing these practices it's not fighting against these arguably unfair practices And the extract from that report is this, it says, reforms to the gig economy expected to improve rights for up to 1.1 million people have been delayed until next year in the latest sign that Brexit negotiations are hampering domestic policy. So technically the story there is that because the government's involved in Brexit bullshit, um, it means that they are sort of postponing other things. Like, for example, they're not really dealing with issues like you know trying to fix problems with workers rights so anyway there you go this is just the continuing stories If brexit or keeps coming back into these things doesn't it so again i'll ask you the questions do you know any examples of this are you a gig economy worker um what's it like in your country i wonder we'll see what what's the situation with workers rights where you are in france workers are uh generally protected a lot more the, the unions have a lot more power and control employers uh, have to um, protect their workers a bit more but still i think we're, we're living in a gig economy here as well to an extent because i see a lot of freelance workers and and things like that too but I'm, I'm curious to know what it's like in your country let's move on to the next word this is the is this the penultimate word yes it is this is the almost this is the one before last this word and it's insta now this comes from Instagram, so I'm now going to talk about Instagram again. Insta, and Insta is an adjective. It's kind of slang, and it means of or relating to the photo sharing application Instagram. Okay? So Insta used as an adjective. It's a word that's come from the 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 name Instagram. Insta so we talk about Insta friends, Insta an Insta brand, an Insta trainer. That could be like a an Insta trainer would be like you know a, a personal trainer, fitness instructor who it has a, a presence on Instagram. Insta friends would be friends that you have on Instagram, maybe not in actual the real world, but friends that you have made or friends that you keep on Instagram. In an Insta brand would be probably a lifestyle or clothing brand which um, is has a big presence on Instagram because Instagram is used by a lot of companies to advertise their products as well. So here are some extracts from a few stories just to give you some examples of Insta friends, Insta trainer, Insta brand. Uh, CNN from December the 18th, 2017. The headline is, Meet Agent 00 Fitness. The unstoppable rise of the Insta trainer. The most prominent American athlete to have picked up on the Insta training trend is LeBron James, who's been posting workout clips for the past few years to his nearly 34 million Instagram followers. All right. Um, So that's like a LeBron James. There's kind of like an Insta trainer. Um, He uses Instagram to post training videos. Uh, and he's got 34 million followers. Oh my god. Next one is from refinery from um refinery 29 from 10 hours ago. I don't remember when that was really, but anyway, refinery 29. It says your favorite insta brand just launched knits. Oh, what are knits? That's K N I T S. Um knits, I think probably it means knitwear products. Uh, clothing products that have uh, that have been made from wool. You know how do you make p- clothes from wool? You knit them. Something that maybe like your granny used to do, or maybe that you do these days because knitting is kind of quite trendy these days. Knitting, you've got like two needles, two large needles, usually made of metal or plastic or maybe wood, and you tick 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 tick. tick. You you kind of use the needles to weave the wool together to f- to create a sweater, or a scarf, or a hat, or something like that, okay? Knitting, yeah? All right. Uh, I remember like when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, my grandma knitted sweaters for my brother and me. It was like, oh, a homemade knitted sweater from grandma, and it was always like way too big, like, you know, really huge and heavy wool. Like, wow, it's certainly warm, but I won't be wearing it because it looks... I, I look like a goth when I'm wearing this. My brother wore his. He was he had a kind of a gothic-ish or a kind of slacker sort of look at the time. So he wore this huge knitted sweater that granny had made for us. Anyway, so you know the kind of thing, knitting. So uh, the story is your favorite Insta brand just launched knits. I suppose that means that uh, some Insta brand has just launched some knitwear or wool woolen uh, clothing. It says, welcome to our new bi-weekly column, Instabate, where we highlight the brands taking over our feeds right now because Instagram isn't just a place where we DM memes to our friends and double tap our style icons, most on point outfits. It's where we discover new labels on the regular. Oh my God, the language to do something on the regular. Uh, This is like that annoying sort of marketing language. We highlight the brands taking over our feeds right now because Instagram isn't just a place where we DM memes to our friends. A meme, those are those like jokey, fun little pictures uh, that people send to each other, you know, like pictures of, oh, I don't know what it would be these days. There's loads of memes, you know, the ones like, for example, uh, Jean-Luc Picard from Star Trek, slapping his face going, oh, face palm you know, that's a famous meme. So Instagram isn't just a place where we DM like direct message memes to our friends and double tap, like tap, tap on our, on the screen, our style icons, most on point outfits. If an outfit is on point, it means it's like really specifically well chosen, like really stylish for the moment. It's really on point. It's where we discover new labels on the regular. Oh my God. Can't you just say it's where we regularly discover new labels? It's where we discover new labels regularly. On the regular, well, there we go. I suppose this is just language, you know, changing. So what do you think? Do you use Instagram? Are you on Instagram? I do have an Instagram account. It's at Luke's English, but I just never post anything on it. I opened an Instagram account because people kept saying to me, hey, are you on Instagram? And I was like, oh, I better do Instagram then. So I opened an account, but I've never actually done anything with it. What about you? Do you you use Instagram? How is it for you? you? Do you enjoy using it? Do you find it useful? Do you find it pleasant? I mean, I'm sure that it must be enjoyable and maybe a good way to communicate and share jokes and stuff like that and just have a look at pictures and see there must be some really interesting content. I suppose there are good Instagram accounts and bad Instagram accounts and probably the good ones have got some really interesting things on there and maybe it works really well for you. But how does it make you feel on an average Uh, day when you're using Instagram does it does it make you feel great Um, is it good for people's mental health I ask that because there have been various reports into the effect of social media on people's mental well-being and it seems that Instagram is not that great for people's mental health on average So let me talk about Instagram and mental health a little bit. And I'm going to read from a reputable report about mental health and social media. And this is from a website called Quartz, um, qz.com. And it says, Instagram is the most harmful social network for your mental health. Right. And you can think about Instagram. Obviously, there's all sorts of stuff that gets posted on there. But a lot of it is kind of aspirational pictures of clothing and also fitness and stuff and it's a lot of it's uh actually clothing brands posting pictures of of let's say women wearing their outfits so it's actually a place where companies sell products to you and they pay models to essentially act like they're just normal people but in fact they're being paid to promote their products or it's like individual people who put a hell of a lot of work and time into producing pictures of themselves, selfies of themselves in the mirror, selfies of themselves showing off their new uh, uh, body that they've been working on in the gym. And like I said before, and I think in a previous episode, um, although this is captivating and, and people um, are compelled to like look at these pictures of these, these beautiful girls and their their the way they've done their hair and the makeup they've done. And I'm sure it's actually can be a great way to get inspiration for new looks and stuff. But beware, you know, beware. A lot of the stuff you're seeing is not what it seems. And it might be just a girl who's taken a picture of herself. But also the pictures that you see on Instagram, they have taken a long time to prepare. And uh, what you don't see is the behind the scenes. And I think in many cases, what we're seeing on Instagram is pictures of, of, of women which are unrealistic and which are supposed to be aspirational, but which just make girls feel bad. Okay, now that's not just me saying that this is some there's there is research into this so let me read from quartz.com you'll see the link on the page it says our addictive feeds of fitness models exotic travel and photo perfect moments don't often match with our comparatively humdrum meaning kind of boring and badly lit lives okay like the the reality you see on instagram often is in stark contrast to the reality that you actually live on a daily basis the discontent caused by that Disconnect is enough that a growing body of research suggests social media is contributing to mental health problems such as anxiety, depression, sleep deprivation and body image issues in young people who are the heaviest users of social media. And Instagram, which now has 700 million users globally, appears to be the social network having the greatest negative effect, according to a new report by the UK's Royal Society for Public Health. An independent charity focused on health education. The report combines previously published research on the health impacts of social media with its own UK-wide survey of nearly 1,500 people between the ages of 14 and 24 to discover how respondents felt um, different. Uh, just to discover how respondents felt, the different social networks, including Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, YouTube, and Twitter, affected their health both positively and negatively, it asked them about their feelings of anxiety, connection to a community, sense of identity, sleep, body image, and more. Only YouTube had a net positive effect among the respondents. Every other social network came back with a net negative effect. That means an overall negative effect. In order from least negative to most, they were this. So from the least negative to the most, you have Twitter, then Facebook, then Snapchat and Instagram, all right? Respondents rated Instagram in particular as having negative effects on anxiety and body image. One of the reports told, uh, one of the reports authors told CNN that girls often compare themselves to unrealistic images that have been manipulated, not just manipulated while the photo was taken, but in some cases manipulated by applications. Um, the report quotes one respondent as saying, Instagram easily makes girls and women feel as if their bodies aren't good enough uh, as as people add filters and edit their pictures in order for them to look perfect. And then we've got an example from an Instagram account showing how uh, there is an app called, I think, Facetune, which is a very simple way of like editing a picture so that your body looks different. So maybe it makes you look slimmer. It can make your your bum look uh, rounder or, or bigger. It can make you change the shape of your thighs or your waist or your face, maybe removing different, you know, like imperfections in the face maybe. Earlier research has found that the unrealistic expectations and fear of missing out created across our social feeds can lower self-esteem And it can fuel issues such as anxiety and depression. These issues are only compounded, like made worse, by cyberbullying and lack of sleep, another harmful effect linked to social media. The report cites recent research published in the Journal of Youth Studies that found one in five young people say that they wake up during the night to check messages causing them to feel exhausted during the day. The findings were not all bad. Nearly 7% of respondents reported that they received emotional support on social media when times were tough, and many said their accounts offered a forum for positive self-expression. They were also able to create and maintain relationships online. The problems centred more on forgetting that what we see isn't always reality, and the RS. Uh, ph the royal society for the protection of health offered some recommendations based on its findings for one fashion brands celebrities and others should be considered should consider disclosing when their photos have been manipulated it also suggests that social networks give users a pop-up warning if they exceed a certain time spent logged on Social platforms might even identify users with possible mental health issues based on their usage and send a discreet message on where to get help. These are some things that could perhaps help to counteract the negative effects. And not least of all, the report said some more research is needed into social media's health effects. Social's spread among younger generations is only growing. It's too big a force not to consider the health consequences seriously well there we go i think that's all i can say about instagram um it's not necessarily bad there are some positive things but it seems watch out it can be bad for your for your mental health maybe we need to just consider instagram to be like another one of these things that we've got to watch out for like you know alcohol and drugs and things that can creep into our lives hmm. all right i'm going to move on to the to the last word in the list of the 2017 words of the year and it's unicorn. A unicorn. That's right. So a unicorn is a noun and it's an imaginary creature, Yeah, they don't exist as far as I know. Uh, I think they're imaginary, mythical creatures. An imaginary creature depicted as a white horse with one long spiralled horn growing from its forehead, regarded as a symbol of innocence and purity, I said unicorns don 't exist well, they kind of do exist though don 't they because they 're everywhere, and you can unicorns can exist in your mind and in your dreams, man. they can exist in your in your in your headspace um, so that 's the main definition of a unicorn it 's the mythical creature that 's like a horse with a with a with a uh, a, a horn growing from its forehead they 're rather beautiful animals. Um, and you know, we wondered do they, did they ever exist? You know, where does the image of the unicorn come from? And why is it that we see so many of them now in public, in popular culture? There's another definition of unicorn, which is also a noun. And I didn't know this one before, but apparently a unicorn in the world of finance is a recently launched business enterprise that is valued at more than $1 billion dollars. So it's like a startup company that's got a massive value so something like i think something like uber which these days isn't really a startup company anymore but when it first arrived uber it arrived on the market it was a startup company but it was valued at i think more than a billion dollars almost immediately so it's you can imagine that the 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 company value or company price let's say share price was like a like the the horn on a unicorn pointing like in a very sharp direction upwards. So, you know, the uni- unicorn is a a word used to refer to startup companies where the value shoots up very sharply. Okay. Now, unicorns are not new, but their popularity on the internet and of course everywhere else now too, is pretty is a pretty recent development. This ancient mythical creature is enjoying a renaissance of its own right now both in images created by uh, amateur computer users and for products sold in stores. Are you seeing unicorns pop up on a daily basis across your Twitter feed or Tumblr dashboard or Facebook page or, dare I say it, Instagram feed, and in reality just in front of your actual face in the real world that you can actually touch? Are you seeing unicorns everywhere? And I mean in the real world Not just sort of weird hallucinations That would be weird If you're hallucinating unicorns You might need to go and see someone Um, uh, And I don't mean your drug dealer Um, So that little paragraph I said About unicorns aren't new That paragraph I said About unicorns aren't new That came from unicornsrule.com By the way So we know what a unicorn is But why are they so popular And prevalent these days And some examples You might see unicorn t-shirts Images of unicorns and rainbows, they seem to go together. Uh, Memes featuring unicorns and rainbows and stars and stuff like that. So what is a unicorn? Well, we know it's a mythical animal. What do they represent? Well, unicorns represent a number of ideas, right? They represent purity, strength, honour, freedom, being fabulous. They represent rarity, like unicorns are very rare, so they represent that sort of uniqueness or rarity they represent beauty innocence and th- things which are hard to find these days like the idealism of identity the freedom to be whoever you want to be the knowledge that unicorns are impossible to find so a kind of uh, a kind of um, you know uh, intangibility of, of kinds sometimes unicorns appear on flags for example did you know that the unicorn is actually the symbol of Scotland. Did you know that? The, yeah, Scotland's national animal is the unicorn. And if you actually look closely uh, on the UK royal coat of arms, that's this sort of a symbol of the of the UK uh, royalty, the coat of arms. Which actually, you, I think you see it on some of our coins. If you flip over a a, a, a pound uh, a pound coin, or you know, one of the other coins. You will get the Queen's head on one side and then on some coins you might see a coat of arms. And if you look closely, I think there's a unicorn on one of those. So, yeah, because they're the symbol of Scotland. They appear on the UK royal coat of arms. And actually, if you look carefully on the UK royal royal coat of arms, you'll see that the unicorn is chained up. The unicorn is in chains. That's right, because they were thought to be dangerous if they were free like a unicorn was considered to be actually kind of a dangerous animal if it was free so uh and and also difficult to catch so the symbol of a unicorn in chains represents like uh the the um the mastery of power you know it means that let's say Scotland or the royal family of Scotland controls even the unicorn so they have they have power right they 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 catch the unicorns and they they have the control over them it's kind of sad though to see a unicorn in chains or you know and like like i just said maybe they're chained up because scottish kings were so awesome that they were even capable of catching unicorns so now the unicorns are in chains to represent the the awesomeness of scottish kings Uh, also we have uh unicorns appearing in some films like in blade runner you know, that uh, um, Ridley Scott film with Harrison Ford, there is a, there's, a, there's a, a very significant unicorn in that film. It appears in a dream sequence and it appears at the end of the film. And I think in the, certainly the director's cut, there is, a, there is a unicorn at the end as well, which is all very s- significant about is Deckard, the main character, is he a human or is he a replicant? The unicorn is all important, that his memory of the unicorn. And also another film called Legend, which actually starred a young Tom Cruise. There's a rather beautiful unicorn in that. And that film was also directed by Ridley Scott, the same guy who did Blade Runner. He clearly had a thing about unicorns in the 80s. Apparently, there's also a sexual connotation with with the unicorns. In the LGBT community, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and trans community, uh, there's some sexual connotation with unicorns because you know unicorns often appear with rainbows and rainbows are like this the sort of um lgbt symbol aren't they um and uh unicorns and rainbows might be used as symbols of activism when you see the lgbt community uh on a on a protest march or something like that you might see unicorns on flags there you you might also yeah so you might see them being used in marches promoting the rights of the LGBT community. And apparently there is some slang that the a unicorn in some circles. I d- I wasn't aware of this, but a unicorn can mean a single attractive healthy bisexual female who wants to have a relationship with a couple. And they're called unicorns because they're so hard to find that they're considered as rare as a unicorn. Now, I, you know, this might not be your world, but uh uh, if you can imagine you are a couple and you're looking for a single, attractive, healthy, bisexual female who wants to have a relationship with the with the two of you, that can be something that's very hard to find. So they are known as unicorns because they're so rare. Uh, and then in finance, going back to that, that thing about finance, a unicorn is a startup company valued over a, a billion dollars. A new company that's immediately valued really highly. Apparently the term was coined was first put into use it was coined in 2013 by venture capitalist Aileen Lee choosing the mythical animal to represent the statistical rarity of such successful ventures according to TechCrunch, there were 223 unicorns as of March 2017 the largest unicorns included Uber, uh, Xiaomi, Airbnb, palantir dropbox and pinterest so there you go that's just some commentary about unicorns and i you must have noticed unicorns maybe they're not that common in your countries but certainly in like the west certainly in europe or in france the uk the usa the unicorns are everywhere but what about you have you seen any unicorns lately i've got a couple of questions for you to consider do you think that unicorns were ever real do you think they ever existed why do we have this image of unicorns where did that image come from is it possible that there were ever horses that had those big horns coming out of their heads where does this image come from i don't really know you know uh it's like dragons did we did dragons ever exist as well and what is it about unicorns that captures people's imaginations why are they so popular now i think i may have given the answers to those questions and um, what about those unicorn companies? Uber, Airbnb, Dropbox. Do you use any of these companies? Now, before we finish, I wanted to read out a message from a Lepster, from a listener to this podcast. This is a message from a Lepster which features a unicorn. <laughs> so I'm not going to say the name of the person, not for any particular reason, but they didn't. They just sent this email to me privately and. So they, you know, they didn't say, hey, you can read this out of the podcast, so I won't use the name. Anyway, hi, Luke. I've often thought of writing to you or leaving you a comment uh, on Facebook, but A, I'm not much of a social media person. I'm not much of a social person. And B, I just didn't feel like it, honestly. Okay, fair enough. Until now. And the message continues. It says, two things have happened to make me write to you. I've currently moved to London and one I saw your name in a pile of missing letters or whatever they are at the front gate of my new residence here and I find it funny. Mhm. So in some residences or places where you might stay uh, for a, for a while you often find that in the in the uh, in the office of the building like the 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 place where you have to, where the um what do you call it the porter would stay the porter is the person who maybe uh checks people who are coming in and out of the building or maybe collects mail post that they can distribute to the people who live in the building so this this listener obviously was staying in a place in london and there was a a, a pile or a tower of missing letters so letters that had not been claimed by residents and apparently uh this listener saw my name in this pile of missing letters at the front gate of the new residence so this listener's like hello luke thompson there's mr letter and the listener continues and says mental note check how common the name luke and the last name thompson are in england uh well uh, i don't think that's me it 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 could be i don't know which residence it is i don't know where you're staying um but i do uh, maybe there's some post waiting for me um but uh a mental note the person says, check how common the name Luke and the last name Thompson are in England. Thompson is a very common name. It's one of the more common names. It's very common, uh, especially in like the north of England and it also in parts of Canada. It's very common and across the United States also it's quite common. But particularly England and Canada, for some reason, uh, Thompson, very common names. Uh, so there are loads of Thompsons out there. Thompson, by the way, means son of Tom. So Tom was a very busy man who apparently had lots of children um and he spent time in england and then he went to canada maybe on holiday uh, and tom oh tom was a oh, the, the, probably the less said about tom the better really because uh he, he he was busy he must be exhausted tom because so many Thompsons, so many sons of Tom out there. I don't, maybe daughters as well. I don't know. Anyway, so Thompson, yeah, very common name. And Luke is a fairly common name. I think it's fairly common. So yeah, there must be loads of Luke Thompsons out there in London, uh, even just in London. I'm sure across the country, there are loads of Luke Thompsons. All you need to do is look on Facebook, search Luke Thompson, and you'll find loads of us go to google search luke thompson there are like lots of famous luke thompsons like musicians and i think some sports sportsmen as well so listener whose name remains anonymous uh, there are loads of luke thompson as I, I don't think that's me so that's the first reason this person wrote to me and the second people the second reason people the second reason is the person said i saw a cycling unicorn and i had to tell you about it okay <laughs> So the message continues. Could sound weird, but it's London, you know. Uh, I hope you do know, because it's my first time in London. I've been here just since late August, and I'm still happily freaking out many times a day. So, listeners, if, if you're not from London and you've never lived in a big city like London, or if you come from a different place, moving to London might be a bit of a shock, because all sorts of crazy stuff happens in London um obviously there's a, there's a huge population and it's a a vibrant place and you find lots of um quite eccentric people and just crazy stuff happens on a daily basis in certain parts of town anyway for example you might just see a unicorn on a bike it's not that it's not that rare and it, honestly if you're in london if you're a londoner and you see a unicorn on a bike going down the street it's not the sort of thing that would shock you it would be like oh look a unicorn on a bike anyway uh crazy stuff happens in london all the time so this person said i saw a cycling unicorn and i had to tell you about it and the message continues it says well long story short let's just get to the unicorn all right tell me about the unicorn friday the 16th of november 10 a.m near hackney central it's quite a hip and trendy part of town i was on the sidewalk and by the way listener Uh, pavement surely in british english it's pavement it's like the, the side of the road where you walk not where the cars go we call it the pavement in british english and in american english it's the sidewalk but don't worry i'll let you off i'm not judging you so anyway i was on the sidewalk or pavement trying to cross the road when a man dressed up as a unicorn passed cycling cycled past i'm gonna write cycled cycled past. I smiled, of course. I'm I'm quite expressive, in fact. What a happy moment, a unicorn on a bike in the morning. Lovely. So I smiled when I saw the unicorn, says the listener. Suddenly a woman, and she didn't look crazy, although she probably was. Suddenly a woman came up to me, quite angry, shouting. Oh my god. She said, "Are you laughing at that unicorn?" Now, here's where you come in, Luke. At that moment, I remembered one of your marvellous podcasts dedicated to Alan Partridge, when you made the difference between laughing at and laughing with. Thanks, Luke. It's the same in Spanish, but still, thanks, because many times it's just the opposite. And mainly, thanks for the English comedy you bring to our lives. So, yeah, you're welcome for teaching you the difference between laughing at and laughing with, which apparently in Spanish is the same. But uh, it's always worth knowing, isn't it, when it's the same? So, the listener said so this woman said are you laughing at that unicorn and the listener said no not uh not at with but apparently this was delivered quite shyly or scared like no 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 not at uh, no not at uh, i'm not laughing at them uh, no not at with <laughs> don't hurt me um and the woman <laughs> the woman said and she was still shouting and in an, in an angry mood uh, good because if a cycling unicorn doesn't cheer you up, then you are miserable. And she was gone, like really offended. <clears throat> and off she went down the road. Oh my God. Did you get it, listeners? So it's like, you know, the listeners walking along. Do, 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 do. Oh, I'm going to lurk. Oh, London, it's crazy. Oh, culture shock. Oh, oh my God. A uniform on a bike. Unicorn, not uniform. Ha ah, smile. And then a woman. Oi, you, are you laughing at that unicorn? Uh, no, no, no uh, I'm not laughing at, just uh, laughing with. <laughs> Good, because if a cycling unicorn doesn't cheer you up, then you're miserable. Like, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. So the, the message continues. I don't know whether it's been live life comedy or something or what, but it did feel like a comedy sketch. Yeah, it sounds like a comedy sketch. That's a good one. That is a good one. I like it. I like that story. I mean, what's this woman's problem? I suppose she's just angrily defending the purity of the unicorn, like she's who is this woman? She's like the yeah, the defender of unicorns. The defender of all that is pure and innocent in the world. And she 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 got so this obviously this woman i mean i don't know this maybe this woman is just like uh having a bad day and having a difficult time and for her unicorns are just the one remaining beautiful thing that we have in the world in this horrible brexit nightmare that she might be living in and so when she saw you smiling at these unicorn maybe she was like oh i must defend the honor of the unicorn i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but i like it it's good And the listener continues with their message, and it says, That's all. I've just received a notification of a new Luke's English Podcast episode. How appropriate. Apparently the the notification arrived while the person was writing the message to me. Uh, I'm glad you're back. So I'm now going to do another thing that cheers me up, apart from seeing a cycling unicorn. Listen to your podcast. Thanks. Well, well, well. I I appreciate your message. I really liked the story. And uh, you're welcome, of course, for the podcast episodes. Thank you so much for listening out there. If you've got any other unicorn stories, ladies and gents, let us know. Um, It's always entertaining to read these sorts of things. Ladies and gents, that's the end of part four. And in part five and six, I think it's going to be two more parts. You're going to listen to me talking about the words of the year for 2018. So more words, more issues, more things to discuss. And next time I'll be joined by pod pal Amber Minogue. And I actually had the conversation with her this morning. So I've actually already done it. And it was nice. It was ah, it was nice to have Amber with me to just bounce ideas off and discuss with, and and we made each other laugh and stuff. So, I think you'll enjoy that episode. Thank you for listening to this one, though. Uh, That's it, then. I'll speak to you again soon. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.